Isn't it a joy to be together? You know, years ago, Sunday morning services were concluded with the song, God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsel, may he guide you in his arms, securely fold you, but God be with you till we meet again. <laughs> That's really true, isn't it? God guide us during the week, but we come together to encourage one another in our walk with the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 contain what we have chosen to call the Sermon on the Mount. And there are many, many things that Jesus said in that sermon as he instructed us as to how we should be living as citizens of the kingdom of God. And in chapter 6, he spoke of three things that are very important to us. First, he spoke of righteousness. He said, Beware practicing your righteousness before men. This is Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that it may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, just to praise the men. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Concerning prayer, he said, when you pray... You're not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do. For they suppose they'll be heard for the many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. By the way, Jason reflected that in the sermon today, didn't he? God knows ahead what we need. And then concerning fasting, he said, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the Hypocrites do. They neglect their appearance so that they'll be noticed by men when they're fasting. I say to you, they have their full reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The most serious thing that can happen in this auditorium is when in this baptistry we immerse someone into Jesus Christ. At that time, as Paul said concerning his immersion, sins are washed away. An old person is buried and a new person comes forth born from above and receives the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and begins the journey that leads to heaven.
Now, just because one is immersed does not mean that that one will receive heaven. Because as Hebrews 6 and 10 tells us, if we fall away, there is no more sacrifice for our sins. Perhaps of equal import is partaking of the Lord's Supper. More than just a ceremony. Something, frankly, that is beyond at least my comprehension. How can we grasp fully what happens when we partake of the body and blood of Jesus? Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. Everyone, take of it. He said, as recorded in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And Paul reiterated that, reiterated that as recorded in 1 Corinthians 11. When the Corinthian church was not approaching the Lord's Supper with awe and sacredness. And he said, if you not discern this properly, you take damnation to yourself. What a thought. The gravity of what we do when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And perhaps of that same category is what's going to happen next Sunday morning in this auditorium in which we ordain three men to the role of elder. This is not just putting successfully elected candidates into an office. But in a way, this is changing the purpose for these men's existence. It also will put their family in great jeopardy, as Brother Jason already prayed, because Satan hates church leadership. And my experience has been this, that when a man steps into that role, Satan finds a way to hit him. And the man stands, and then he says, how can I distract him? And so he goes after his family. As Jason prayed this morning, it is important that we pray not only for these men, but from their fast for their fast for their families as well. In a way, as we say, these men have their purposes changed in life. It's hard for a lot of people to grasp, but think of it. These men are taking on the role of being shepherds of the sheep of God, caring for the most precious thing in this world, which is the bride of Christ, and someday will stand before God and give account. I don't want to embarrass Bruce. But Bruce had a very excellent job working for Shell Oil Company. By the way, when you go to the pump in your filling station and stick in a credit card or debit card, you know you can do that because of Bruce. Bruce developed that. And Bruce went around to Shell stations and installed it. <laughs> well, when Shell decided to close their office in Tulsa, their headquarters in Tulsa, and move to Houston, they laid off all their employees except five. And they said, we're taking five with us. And one of those would be Bruce. Bruce said, I can't go. I'm an elder in my church. He understood the sacred calling of being an elder. This is not just occupying an office. In an ordination, one stands before God and says, Lord, I accept this 
as one of my main reasons now for being in the world. It is appropriate that the elders declared next Saturday to be a solemn day of prayer and fasting in preparation for that day. We don't hear much about fasting anymore, do we? But there was a time at TCF when we heard a lot about it. Bill Sanders told me that before Marty died, he and Marty, that was the mother of his children, every Tuesday they spent the day fasting and prayer for their children. In the 1980s, fasting was often spoken of, and we had seasons of it at TCF. I remember standing back there by the restroom one time, talking to a young man who was an ORU student. He was a weightlifter and bodybuilder, and TCF was having a time of fasting. He said, I don't know how to do this. I'm a bodybuilder. I have a particular diet I have to eat every day. Am I supposed to fast? Perhaps there are some who aren't supposed to. Certainly, if you're a diabetic, do not fast. Let the rest of us, you just rob yourself of that blessing, but let the rest of us carry the load for you. And there are other people who have physical conditions. Some of you old folks maybe need to think about that a little bit. But I came to TCF as a direct result of a season of fasting. Let me tell you the story. Bella Christian Church, when... Through study, we had come to change our views on the Holy Spirit, no longer being cessationist, but continuous, as Bill introduced me to that term. And I personally was rejected by other Christian church preachers, and our own church began to experience the same rejection. Other Christian churches would have nothing to do with us because we said the gifts still operate today. And during those times, wanting to be certain that we were not just following the minds and thoughts and doctrines of men, we would fast from time to time, seeking the will of God. In January, we declared five days of fasting, Monday through Friday. Almost the whole church did this. And then every night, we'd meet in the chapel for one hour, absolute silence, no one could speak or pray out loud. And then we went home. On Friday, we broke the fast. And every member of the church who had been participating was invited to stand and say what they had heard God say that we are to do that year. In January of 1980, various things came forth, but not clarity as to how to proceed in them. So we did the same thing in June. And at the close of that week of fasting, Ron Patterson who was the personnel director today, you'd say HR department, at John Zink Corporation, said, God has shown me that a school is to be launched to train people for ministry. And he gave a description of it and said, And Jim, some way you're supposed to be involved in this. And so the elders and I prayed and sought God. Nothing really came with clarity. Now, during 1980... Chuck Farah had put together a group of young men that he saw as having potential for future ministry. And these young men met at the Bel Air Christian Church building every Wednesday for lunch in the fellowship hall. I was always there discipling these young men. Chuck was there sometimes, Phil Walker sometimes, but I was always there. 
And in November of that year, November 1980, at one of those noon meetings, Chuck said, I have been in prayer since early this morning, and God has shown me that a school is to be launched to train people for ministry. And he gave a description that exactly fit what Ron Patterson had said in that time of fasting the previous June. And Jim, you're supposed to head this. Wow. He called the next morning and said, I've been praying since 4.30. Jim, you're supposed to come to TCF and be a pastor. I said, Chuck, I cannot do that. These people have followed me through hell and high water. (laughs) I can't walk away from him. He said, could you come part-time? Well, we'll see. So the elders of Bel Air prayed, and I prayed, because that was the month the TCF had occupied this building. There was a witness that I was to leave Bel Air and come here to launch what became Tulsa Bible Seminary, which we started in 1982 and ran it for several years. One reason we closed it, I started traveling with Gordon. There are other reasons, but Tulsa Bible had 120 students every Tuesday and Thursday night. Uh, for several years. But you see, I'm here (laughs) directly the result of a season of fasting. When we approach God in this way, who knows (laughs) what our Lord will do. This morning I want to spend a few moments with you talking about the topic of when you fast. Fasting, scripturally, fasting is an assumed activity of those who are citizens of God's kingdom. Remember, Jesus didn't say if you fast, but when, when you fast. Remember one time the disciples of John the Baptist came. Now, Mark tells us in in the Gospel of Mark that some uh, Pharisees were with them. But they came and said, you know, the Pharisees fast and the disciples of John fast Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus said this, Matthew 9, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And as deed, as we read the book of Acts, as we read the epistles, The subject of fasting occurs, frankly, quite often. As I compared various English translations of the New Testament, not of the old, but of the new, it's interesting to me that the King James, the New King James, Young's literal translation, others like that, always render the word nestuo as fasting or nestia as a noun fast. Some of the modern translations don't. They translate it as hungry or doing without food. The Greek word for hunger is lamos, different word. One example, I think, is in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 27. Paul's describing all the events that happened to him, the sacrifice he'd made as an apostle. And he says, I was hungry and without water. And then later he says, fasting often 
Some translations say often without food. Well, he just said that a few words earlier. It's not repetition, mere repetition. And if you look at your interlinears, every linear New Testament says fasting. Anyway, enough of that. Not a, don't want to get into all that today. Also, it's interesting to me that the King James, even though it renders the word accurately, four times has the word that doesn't enjoy textual integrity. Those are Matthew 17, 21, Mark 9, 9, Acts 10, 30, and 1 Corinthians 7, 5. But it still is there dominantly. Fasting is not asceticism. Asceticism, Paul said, is the doctrine of the devil. 1 Corinthians, First uh, Timothy 4, rather, don't eat don't certain foods, don't enjoy the sexual relationship in marriage. Colossians, he says the same thing. Colossians 2, 20 to 23, asceticism is a doctrine of the devil. Asceticism means somehow I can, by depriving myself of something, earn points with God. That's totally unscriptural. <laughs> it's all God's grace and goodness. But anyway... The assumption of the New Testament is that fasting will be a part of the life of those who walk with Jesus. Fasting can be done for the wrong reasons, can't it? We just saw that in the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You can do it to get the attention of people. Another reason as well, it's interesting, the only fast that was commanded as a part of the law of Moses. There was just one, and that was the Day of Atonement. Find that recorded in Luke 23, 27, Numbers 29, 7. The, the only time that, that it's one time. Now, the Hebrew says they afflicted themselves. The Jews understood that to meant fast. Now, by the time of the Babylonian captivity, after the uh, Jerusalem had been destroyed, the temple had been destroyed, and the Jews were in Babylon. They began to fast four times a year, commemorating certain events. And when they got back to the promised land, they approached Zechariah and said, Is it right for us to continue these fasts that we had in Babylon, the four fasts? And Lord said, Zechariah asked him, Why were they fasting? Were they doing something unto me? Or was it just some other reason? It's important that when we fast, we be doing something unto God, not just doing without food. I rarely eat lunch. I skip lunch, but that's not fasting. I'm just doing without food. <laughs> but it could be otherwise. I could choose to do without food as a sense of I'm doing something unto God. I'm seeking his presence in that hour instead of sitting down to eat. Personally, I'll tell you that as I have gone through lengthy fasts from time to time, one of the first things I have become aware of is this. I eat more for emotional reasons than hunger. <laughs> it's noon. Time to take a break. Time to sit down. Yes, my stomach may be empty. By the way, few Americans have ever known real hunger. We know an empty stomach. But real hunger is when your body has already exhausted all of the waste that's in it, surplus things, and then begins devouring the body itself. That's when real hunger occurs, and most of us have never known that, and I pray never will. But that does happen. There are three kinds of fasts in Scripture. 
The, sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm going to do without t television. I'm going to fast television. I'm going to fast this or fast the other. Well, okay, maybe so, but that's really not a fast. That may be spiritual benefit from that, frankly, getting away from all that stuff and those distractions. But fasting has the idea of doing without food. The normal fast involves doing without food but not doing without water. And almost all the fast described in Scripture of this are of this type. I do without food, but I still drink water. Notice Jesus in the wilderness. Forty days he did not eat. At the end of the forty days, it doesn't say he's thirsty. He was hungry. So evidently, during that forty days, he drank water, even though he did not eat food. Uh, and a normal fast also faces the truth about our human bodies. You know, we can do without food for a long time, but you only go about three days without water. So a normal fast is not doing away with everything. It is not eating, but still drinking water or something similar. An absolute fast is when one does without both food and water. Uh, they're rare in Scripture. Where they are described, it's because there was a very special matter, something intense that was happening. One is Saul of Tarsus. Remember, I've had the encounter with Jesus. And the Lord said, you know, go on into Damascus and be told what. And it says in, in Acts 9, 9, he didn't eat or drink for three days. <laughs> that was an absolute fast for three days. When Ezra was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the Gentiles, Ezra 10.6, when Ezra rose before the house of God, went to the chamber of Jehoanan, the son of Elishab. And although he went there, he did not eat bread nor drink water. He was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the Gentiles. So there are these times in Scripture where you find absolute fasts. The Jews, when they're... When uh, Esther was queen, and the total obliteration of the Jewish race was on the line, Queen Esther spoke to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And on and on. An absolute fast. Rare, only in extreme times, but usually only for three days. An example, however, extended absolute fast only occur when something supernatural is happening. Like one of the, the primary example of Moses. Forty days and forty nights he was on the mountain when God was giving him the Ten Commandments. He didn't eat or drink. And he came down and found the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. Remember, he was so upset he broke the tablets of stone and went back for another 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking on the mountain with God. Truly supernatural. That is beyond the ability of any human, regardless of how devoted, to do. It was a supernatural fast. And the third type of fasting is a partial fast. Partial fast is when there are certain things you choose not to eat. 
Uh, other times you will choose to skip a meal, whatever, a partial fast rather than a normal or a total fast. Now, remember when David and his, or rather Daniel rather and his companions first were taken to the king's court, and they said, we're not going to have all that food you're bringing that because it's been offered to idols. Uh, just let us have some vegetables and simple things. They really had kind of a partial fast, but more on target is the incident in Daniel 2 to 3. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire weeks were completed. So he abstained from tasty food, he abstained from wine, he abstained from meat, but evidently he ate other things. Now, we don't know why he embarked that way, but why he didn't do in Daniel 9 where he did a normal fast, why in this one is he doing a partial fast? have to believe God must have led him that way. So partial fasting can mean choosing to abstain from certain food, or it can mean skipping a meal as you fast before the Lord. It's very relevant that next Saturday be a solemn day of fasting and prayer. By the way, the women are having this fun night Friday. I guess you can view that as Mardi Gras before Lent. <laughs> and then I guess Sunday when we have a feast, it's a feast of Easter or whatever. <laughs> Several incidents in Scripture describe events that perhaps relate to us, but two I think are very pertinent. Acts thirteen two to 3 while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting... Now, this is the leadership of the church at Antioch. The, the leaders, leaders' council was meeting. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I don't know how many of you, if any of you, prayed and fasted about the choice of the three men that are scheduled for ordination next Sunday, but how appropriate it is for us to fast and pray in preparation that perhaps even through prophetic words it might be affirmed by God. But another one right on target for us is Acts 14. Now, in the New Testament, various places we have qualifications for eldership given. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and so on. Even Titus being commissioned to do it, to ordain elders. But there's only one place in Scripture where we have a true description of ordaining elders. And that's in Acts 14, beginning with verse 21. Now, Barnabas and Saul had traveled around preaching and establishing churches. And when they preached the gospel of that city, made many disciples, they returned to Lystria, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's the only description in the New Testament of an actual service of ordination for elders. They prayed with fasting. It's important that prayer and fasting accompany the ordination of eldership. Now, this is not a rule. (laughs) The elders haven't laid down a law. (laughs) They've just made a proclamation. The next Saturday be a solemn day and invite you to participate in some way in fasting and prayer. How appropriate it is that next Saturday is the (laughs) on-site prayer advance. And Sue, as we say, has outlined many things for us, but one thing that really needs to be the center of our prayers next Saturday as we come to this building to pray is for what's going to happen the next day. As men will be taking on the eternal role, shepherds, of God's sheep. So you're invited, not commanded, to share in fasting and prayer next Saturday. May we find ourselves in a wonderful new season in this church, ordained of God, as we seek to move forward as God continues to leave. May our Lord be praised. Thank you, Jim. Let's stand together.